Welcome to this week's Eccentric Minute, brought to you by Eccentric. This week's Eccentric Minute is a great exercise to get you out of the sagittal plane and into the frontal, and that is the K-Box lateral squat. With one leg off the box, you're going to give the wheel a spin and really sink into the hip of the leg that's on the box. While you're doing this, you want to try to keep that back leg straight to really stretch out those adductors and really drive your pelvis as hard as you can up and over to the side off the box. Make sure you give yourself a counterweight with this because when you give the K-Box a good push here, it's going to want to give a little bit. So make sure you set yourself up there. But this is really an awesome exercise, again, to get you out of that sagittal plane, open up your hips. Guys, give this one a try. I'm sure it's one you're going to love. I really hope you enjoyed this week's Eccentric Minute. Make sure you check them out at eccentric.com to find out everything you need about the K-Box and the K-Pulley. Being a strength and conditioning professional requires constant pursuit of better knowledge, better methods, and better means. But what if there was a place where strength and conditioning coaches could learn from some of the most innovative practitioners in the world, such as Jeff Moyer, Lachlan Wilmot, William Wayland, James the Thinker Smith, and Kirwenham Flat? Well, you could find multiple lectures from each of these top-level coaches and a few lectures and examples from yours truly as well, all in the Strength Coach Network. The Strength Coach Network is going to bring you well over a hundred different lectures from some of the top practitioners in the world to be your one-stop shop for your continuing education and professional development. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash today and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. That's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash C-V-A-S-P-S to get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. Marsh, so fired up to have you with us today, brother. What's going on, Jay? Yeah, man. Dude, I'm stoked we get the chance to catch up here a little bit. It's great to see you. I'm glad you're doing well, buddy. But before we get too far into this, you know, let's let everybody know who is Daniel, where you're at, how'd you get down there to, to Arizona? That's a long, a long journey, man. Um, let's see. I am a a husband, a dad, uh coach, brother, son, all those things, uh, not to be cliche, but uh, uh, kind of all those things make me who I am. Um, big thing about me, uh, a Christian, my, my dad was a pastor um, and that's kind of shaped a lot of what I do. Um, and then my, my grandparents uh, on my mom's side have been in education all their lives. So, really my grandfather has shaped a lot of, of who I am and like really got me interested in, in working with young people. Uh, in, in terms of how I got out here, number one, this is home. So it's kind of come full circle for me. Uh, I'm from 20 minutes from uh, ASU's campus. So um, interesting, interestingly enough, uh, when we first moved out to Arizona back in 97, my mom started working at ASU and has been working here ever since. So my first day here, we actually like rode together to work and it was just kind of crazy to see that. But uh, let's see, I, I started off in, in strength and conditioning as a intern out at uh, Athletes Performance, now Exos, out in uh, California. Um, from there, actually worked for Exo, signed a, a contract to go overseas to China. 
Um, I was out there in Shanghai uh, with some, some great coaches out there, did a nine month contract there, and then uh, had the opportunity to join uh, Nick Popovich's staff up at, uh, in Chicago with the, the Bulls. Did a season there, so it was a great opportunity. Um, learned a lot from from Nick and Matt Johnson, who's now the the head strength coach. Great relationship with those guys. Um, they they molded a lot of my my thinking in terms of, of basketball strength and conditioning. Um, at the end of that time, went to uh, Rhode Island University of Rhode Island with uh, Coach Dan Hurley. Hired me on his staff there, and uh, worked under. Richard Johnson, who's the head strength coach there, great friend of mine. I've talked to him probably like twice a week still, um, and uh, had a lot of success there. Some great times there. At the end of, of Hurley's stint there, he uh, moved on to UConn, and uh, an opening came on his staff or his brother's staff out here at ASU. And again, like this is home. It, it's probably the one thing that could have pulled me away from Rhode Island and uh, everything worked out and, and joined this staff out here in uh, 2018. So kind of full circle, a lot of different stops along the way, but I'm back home and, and glad to be here. Yeah, man. And another awesome coach to come through the Atlantic 10, which I always say is by far the most underrated basketball conference in the league, selfishly. But even more so, I think that for some reason, man, we've been really lucky to have a lot of awesome strength coaches roll through. I mean, Rhode Island, just in the time that, that I've been here, you know, we had you and you passed the torch to Chase. And now Vincent out there doing awesome. Like, just, I don't know, man. I mean, obviously, like, I, I think that don't spot. Yeah, I, I think that conference is a great spot for, for strength coaches. Like you said, the, the basketball is ex extremely underrated. I, I don't think enough people know how good the basketball is out there. Uh, we, I, we've talked about this before. Like, the guards in that league can play at any level, and you see it. Like, a lot of guards end up transferring up and starting at some big-time programs. So, I mean, you – Fats is going to be most likely a starter at, at Maryland next year. Like your guards could go anywhere, Dayton, like just around the league. Yeah. And it's a, it's a fun league to be in. And I think that one of the fun parts of it is now this could all change because of the new rule that the one-time transfer, but we get the opportunity to onboard young kids, build, develop and grow. and that's an opportunity that you're going to have uh, in the coming weeks here with, uh, you know, some new guys coming on campus. And this is a topic that I think is always great. So let's talk about what's Marsh's onboarding process and what are some of the, uh, the places where you've pulled some things and made some, some uniqueness to, to that development beginning aspect in your program. Absolutely. Um, well, yeah, so we're, we're probably going to have here at least 10 new scholarship players um, on our team uh, for the upcoming season. So um, for me, and, and I kind of talk to these recruits or when they're recruits, 
about like exactly what this process is going to look like when you you get in with us. So I will initiate uh, everything with with just a, a baseline assessment. And for me, what that looks like, it, it's uh, a combination of subjective and objective uh, assessments. So we'll we'll do um, almost a, a modified MBA combine where we'll go through and do like all of our performance testing. Um, we'll do like a, a lane agility for time. We'll do three quarter court sprint. We'll do a standing vert and an approach vert. Um, that'll kind of give me like a, a, a picture of what type of athlete they are. Um, and then we'll also go through like ranges of motion. So I always want to check their hips. I always want to check their ankles. We'll do some upper body range of motion, some T-spine rotation, um, shoulder flexion, uh, internal, external ro rotation of, of the hips. Um, and, and again, ju just trying to develop a picture of who they are as an athlete. Um, and then also we've started to incorporate uh, force plate data. So we have Hawking dynamic. Um, with that, we're looking at a, a few different metrics. Um, I wanna see modified RSI. I wanna see, uh, we'll do some different right to left comparison. Um, all of these will come off of a, a counter movement jump. Um, I wanna see, uh, I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, of course, the, the height is one of the things that we're looking at. We want to see uh, basically the speed for which the velocity at takeoff. Um, so just some more objective things that we can kind of point to and help us make decisions in how to train them. Um, and then, of course, we'll also, uh, Coach Hurley is big on getting the uh, body fat composition on, on these guys. Um, and that's something that we'll track throughout their career. We'll do typically about five to six times a year um just kind of see where they are with that that's awesome because that really it not only does it tick a lot of boxes but that's going to allow you now to a have a pretty good idea of who the athlete is physically and b now be a driver for every aspect that we could think of in training yep yep and then I guess from the uh, the subjective standpoint, um, one of the big things one of the things I'm big on is you know I, I have a track and field background. I, I was a track and field athlete, um, coached a little bit at the collegiate level um, right out of, of college, and I'm just big on like watching these athletes move. So I, I'm obviously at every one of our our workouts in the summer and i'm just like looking like how are how are their feet making contact with the ground do they are they getting off quick what's their stride length look like like just trying to make all these different mental notes and i'll eventually write those down and then start to discuss some of that stuff with with uh coach hurley and just see is he seeing the same things what is he seeing like and again, just get a picture of the athlete and understand who this athlete is. Um, I, I think that is one of the most uh, underrated parts of, of our onboarding process. But I think when you know what an athlete moves like, when you see how they move, 
um, and you really understand like what they try to use to to get from one place to another, you can see when things are bothering them. Um, you know, Remy Martin is one of the most explosive guards that have, has been at the collegiate level um, in terms of how he moves. And he's also a guy that, you know, can have little nicks and nacks here and there. And it's like, if you know how Remy moves, you can see it when, when his body's off and it can lead to some of those conversations about, all right, do we need to give you some rest? Do we need to add uh, massaging throughout the week? Do we like just basically figuring out like how to get a guy to where they need to be for game night. But I think all of that stuff starts in the off season. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that understanding more of who the person is based on the physical and then that psychosocial aspect, especially in a game like basketball is beyond vital. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, the, like, I, I guess that's where like my pops being a, a pastor comes into play because psychologically I'm talking to these guys all the time. Like I, I'll spend time on them on, on the court with them before practice, like having little fake, competitions or, or uh, first to five three-pointers, but like just talking to them and trying to get to know them better. Same thing like after practice, just sitting in the locker room, chit-chatting with them here or there, or sitting in the weight room when we finish up. Um, I think those, those go a long way in terms of, of not just getting buy-in, but more so understanding how to push the athlete to, to get them to where they need to be. Yeah, I think because if you don't know how to get them and to lead them, let's say, because it's not really like manipulate, but lead them to make those decisions, figuring out how those recovery modalities and those other things that are assistive in that nature becomes really challenging. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think like, some, of the, some of that small talk, it, it just leads to like, you might have one guy that loves the ice bath and thinks that the ice bath is like the greatest thing ever. And then you might have another guy that thinks going into the ice bath is like an easy way out and, and like they're mentally think that they're soft if they go into it. And not that e either one of those mentalities is right or wrong, but it definitely alters how you approach that conversation with, with each of them. But if you're, if you're not spending that time with them, you're, you're not going to know. You can't have the same approach. That goes with anything. You can't have the same approach with every single athlete. It just is what it is. Yeah, no doubt. Especially, like, I think the cold tub, especially with basketball players, is one that can be kind of a, a fight that may not be worth going exactly. through, too. Because if... Yeah. If it's a war that you have to fight with them to get them to get in there and it's that big of a stressor, is that big of a stressor going to help alleviate stress-related fatigue? Exactly. I don't exactly. know. I think that, that goes with, with, with a number of different things. Like, I think mentally figuring out what guys like, what guys don't like. Like, same thing in the weight room. Like, you know, if you got a guy that hates front squatting but it's a big part of your program for me personally that's fine if you don't like front squat well let's see if you like safety bar squat 
Let's see if you like back squat. Let's see if you like belt squat. I really don't care. I want to get the movement. Let's find the, the way that you prefer to get that movement done. Now, of course, there's a time time for, for all of the different squats. Like, you know, I'm initially going to work front squats because I would like to get my guys to be able to be in a, a catch position on the clean. And I know, like, if I can't get you into a rack position, then I'm never going to, like, I'm not going to waste time trying to teach you a muscle clean if you're struggling to get into a rack position on a front squat. But, I mean, all of these, the, like, to me, just finding what, what each guy likes to do helps go a long way in, in terms of, of getting guys that are not typically weight room guys into the weight room. Oh, dude. Yes. And I think that, you know, people right now, it's become kind of cool to allow athletes to have some input in their training, you know, for some reason, like allowing the people that actually have to do it to have a little bit of input in it. It just blows my mind that we never would have thought of this before. But I think too often, and guilty is charged with this, that we've gotten at points to being like, well, what type of squat do you like? And it doesn't matter what time. And we give them all these options and teach them how to do it. And then they kind of figure it out. But when you have as in an self involving assessment, like you were talking about, you now have a way to attack that. So you're like, you can have these options because of, it's yep. not, hey, we only want to work a squatting pattern, so it doesn't matter if it's a zombie or a front squat or a goblin squat. It's, hey, listen, you have these metrics that are saying X, Y, and Z, so these two would be better. Pick one. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And that then has now has to get these young people to be dialed in, snapped in, and, and locked in. Yeah, I agree. The, the more ownership you can give them, the better it's going to be, I, I personally think. Now, some, some situations, you need to have more of a militant approach, and I understand that. Um, and it, it also comes down to, like, the, the program and the vision of, of the head coach that you work for, right? Um, you know, Dan Hurley loved, like, rigid everything is almost military style we're gonna do boom 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 this is how it is everybody's jogging from one place to another there's no walking in the weight room bobby hurley is more of a, a nba approach where um it's more dialed in to the individual and what this guy needs is not necessarily what this guy needs and we're going to make the adjustments as, as necessary um and, and you can be successful with both, both of those approaches. 100%. Yeah, a hundred percent in it, but it depends on the two things that you mentioned. And that is how the, the head coach handles that situation. Cause you couldn't flip flop how you handle, it. like you couldn't do what you're doing there at URI and vice versa. Yeah. And not yeah. just because of which Hurley it is, but also because like, you know, some of those guys that you had like Terrell and, and them, may not have been the same type of guys that you have now that could shine and, and grow in that setup. 
keep moving. And, and that that's one thing that like I tell a lot of people. A lot of people will ask like, what's the biggest difference between the two Hurleys? And like, both of them are extremely competitive, but I would say like, th those are the, probably the, the two main differences and just like their approach to, to how they um, go about like day-to-day -day operations. But both of them are extremely successful. And the, the biggest thing is like, they both recruit to those type of, of styles. Like they know the player that they're recruiting um, during the process and they go to guys that can be successful with each of their, their approaches. Yeah, and that's so important because now you know that you're gonna get someone that's gonna fit the system in the mold of what you need. Yep. And now you have evaluations to understand what that individual is. So you almost can, and it's not a foolproof plan, but you almost can model what you need the player to quote unquote look like yep. when it comes to that. Yep, 100% agree. And then that makes the training part fun because then you can say, you know, I mean, now it's not fair to a lot of guards to compare them to Remy, okay? But you can say like, this is the norm this is the kid that was abnormally successful in any aspect of basketball. Yeah. Let's look at where you fit in between them. And now we can work towards one into the other. Yep. And that like the, the force plate stuff really helps with that in terms of, of being able to guide some of those decisions. Um, you can see some of the, the fatigue things come into play. And then you can talk to, well, why is that guy doing that? And I got to do this. Well, let's talk about it. This is what we see. So when we see these things with you, remember that day that they were doing this and I said, you're doing this, this is why. And that, that also helps with that, that buy-in process. Now, when you're looking at it, and I, I would almost guess that this would all kind of trickle down towards your track background. Are there certain metrics, measurements, evaluations that if they have a positive outlook in it versus the rest of the team, you look at that strength as almost like what makes them special and you train more towards that? Or is yeah. it more of looking at where they're uh, a little bit lower in the, the scores versus everyone else? So I'm always trying to make their, like the things that make them special, I'm always trying to keep that like a main component of who they are as an athlete. Um, at the same time, we're, we wanna make the weaknesses improve. So um, I might say, say we have a guy that's a, a speed guy, um, but isn't very strong. We're gonna work on strength for sure. But the moment like that speed component starts to dip a little bit, we're backing off and we're, we're touching back on that speed. I always want you to be who you are as an athlete. I don't want what we do to completely change you unless you're just a terrible athlete. Well, then we got like pretty much everything that we do is going to be geared towards improving um, something. But um, it, it's not too many guys that, that, Hurley recruits that are just terrible athletes. Like I, I really can't think of anybody that doesn't move well. Um, so it's like the guys that are our power guys, we want to keep them power guys. The guys that are speed guys, we want to keep them speed guys. 
We just want to keep improving some of those weaknesses. Yeah. So a, a guy like like Lou Dort that came in looking like a, a, a Greek god, um, I didn't have to do a whole lot of strength work with him. We were working on trying to make him access the strength that he had faster. Um, and at no point in the, the season did any of his strength numbers drop. So we just kept working on that speed component with him. Um, some other guys, like uh, we had a guy last year, Jalen House, who's like uh, uh, like as fast, if not faster than, than fats and just flies all over the court, but he was weak. So we, we did a lot of one by 20 with him um, and just tried to improve his numbers throughout the, the, the season. And at no point did, did he lose any of that speed. Yeah, and I think that, especially in a game like basketball, where there can be athletes at such far ends of the spectrum, that that's so important. Like, obviously, getting faster is always important. Obviously, getting stronger is always important. But I love the fact that you're sitting here and you're talking about how much you're looking at metrics and evaluating these guys. And as soon as it makes someone who's special less special at what they're special at, you got to change the plan. Yeah, got to stop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that was one of the big things. A lot of these guys, when they think of the weight room, initially, especially if they're inexperienced in the weight room, they think that it's going to mess up those things. Um, so, like, House came in at 143 pounds, the lightest player that I've ever, ever had by far. Six feet, 143 pounds. I'm like, look, we got to get you bigger. Like, you got to weigh more. Um, his in his mind though it was if I weigh more I'm not gonna be as explosive or as fast. I said all right, hold me, hold me to this. If you start to feel like you're losing speed or quickness or explosiveness, tell me, and we'll make sure that that's not the case. If going from 143 to 160 makes you a worse athlete, that's my fault. And like, I'll own that 100%. But I promise you, we'll back off way before that ever happens. And like, sure enough, he got up to 160 and all of his, all of his metrics had improved. So. It's crazy how like, one, how much that transformation happens in so many college basketball players. And two, that how hard it actually is to get all the way to the point where it is diminishing returns. Extremely hard, extremely hard. <laughs> and I don't think people realize, like, uh, I don't think the average person realizes how difficult that is. It's, it's almost mind blowing how <clears throat> the body can put on 15 pounds or lose 15 pounds and and still be able to be relative, like do what it does relatively the same, if yeah. not better. A hundred percent. And it's, especially for these 18 to 22 year olds who are just developing at a crazy rate. Yeah. 
and probably need so much more of the general because their life has been so constricted in the specific that simple stuff is really powerful here. That's yeah. fun. That's the thing, like the, the training ages are so young, so young when we get most of these guys that as long as you keep it simple, basic, and get really good at that stuff, you're going to see improvements. And that's like, <laughs> a lot of these guys will come in and say like, you know, I like doing band work or this. When I was doing it, I got really, I got so much better. And it's like, I understand what you're saying. You did get better, but you also have to understand like at your age, you could probably just sit on the couch and you're still going to get better because your body is maturing. Not saying that the bands are bad for you or what you were doing with your previous guy was bad. Just saying, I have a different approach. We can throw some of that stuff in, but it's not going to make the bulk of, of your work. We're going to do a little more traditional style of, of things that has stood the test of time, is tried and true. And, and if we just get a little bit better at these things each week, I promise you, you're going to see at, at worst, the same improvement, but I bet it's going to be a little bit better. Yeah, it's crazy how it works like that. Yeah. Well, listen, Marsh, let me get you out of here with this, brother. Where can people see what you're doing? Where can people keep up with you? Where can they get in contact with you? Because uh, you're doing some awesome stuff out there, and you do do a pretty good job of sharing. Appreciate it. Um, well, shoot, I don't even know my Instagram name. I'm on Instagram. I post a lot there. Um, Hold up, I'm pulling it up right now. My Instagram name is Coach Mar Coach underscore Marsh85. Um I'm on, on Instagram there. That's where I post the most. And you'll see a little bit of, of training, a lot of a lot of bit of my family. I'm huge on my family. Like I I got a beautiful wife, Dominique. Uh, six-year-old daughter, Gianna. I got a three-year-old son, Isaiah, and an eight-month-old son, uh, Elijah. So uh, I post them a lot. Um, and then I post some training stuff on there as well. And then uh, some other random stuff. Like I I'm big into cooking, so I haven't done a whole lot of that lately, but uh, it's, we're getting to the summertime. So you're going to see a lot, of, a, a lot of grilling posts coming up here pretty soon tell you man like one of my favorite things is watching strength coaches cook and like seeing what people are doing like in the kitchen and stuff yeah and i think that it, for tiff too like she's like what are you doing now like what are you going to like well i mean you know i've seen these guys doing this so i'm gonna go give this a try and nope. hopefully it works uh, out because you're stuck eating it <laughs> yeah it true. so I was this close to dropping out of college and going into culinary art school, like literally this close. My first semester was terrible in school. Like, I think I had like a 1.8 or a 1.7 GPA. And uh, I got home at semester and I had like got the, uh, it's a, a culinary art school out here, uh, Scottsdale Culinary. I had got the application, I filled it out. Like I was like, I was set in my mind that I wasn't going back to college. 
and my mom kind of encouraged me like, hey, at least get through one one track season, get through one track season, get to the end of the year and then make your decision. And uh, like, I'm glad she did it because like I, I had like an amazing, amazing freshman uh, freshman track season. And uh, my GPA w was a 3.0 the second semester and kind of just turned things around. So decided to stick it out thanks to mom. And uh, here we are. I, I would not be here today for sure. Well, I'm glad she made that choice, man. Yeah, yeah. Glad she did. And that's another thing for me. Like I, all these kids that we have, I just look at them like you like, no matter what you did yesterday, tomorrow's a new day and we're gonna treat it like a new day. I mean, like you have the opportunity, I'm gonna give every athlete an opportunity to make multiple mistakes. Cause I know I've made my fair share as an athlete. So like, I think that that's a big thing with me that you gotta treat each day as its own day. You can't bring what an athlete did yesterday into today. And if you do, like you're gonna lose a lot of athletes that you could have reached. No doubt. No doubt. Marsh, man, it's great to see you. I'm glad you're doing you awesome, too, man. Dude. I really appreciate your time today, buddy. Thanks so much for being with us. All right, no problem. Yeah, man. We'll be in touch soon, bud. Cheers. Sounds good.